there, Kim Schmidt, the executive editor of Farm Equipment here. Welcome to the latest episode of Farm Equipment's podcast series, Our Dealer Story. In this week's episode, Alan Stenham and I sat down with John and Chris Ice, co-owners of Ice Implement. They're third generation owners of the single store John Deere dealership in Two Rivers, Wisconsin. This is a follow-up to the podcast we did with just John earlier in the year. John and Chris's grandfather started the dealership in 1946. Before we head over to John and Chris, I wanted to thank our sponsors, HBS Systems, a multi-generational company that for over 30 years has provided leading-edge systems and software technology designed specifically for ag and construction equipment dealers. Thanks for making this podcast possible. We'll jump into the conversation now with Chris sharing his early memories of his grandparents' home, which was above the original dealership, and the work he did at the dealership as a teenager. So what are some of your early memories of the dealership? It was a long time ago, which I hate to even say at this point because it's getting kind of, I don't even like to say it, but it is getting a long time ago. But, you know, my they, my grandparents had, they had a place that was basically a, you know above the store. Mm-hmm. And I was telling John one day, I said, you know, it's funny because of all the things that, that you don't remember at that age or whatnot, I can literally visualize walking through their house or their apartment or whatever above there. I know what the kitchen looks like. I can still remember that. I can remember which way you went down the hallways to rooms. I can remember that. And it's weird because I shouldn't, I remember my, my grandma making homemade noodles and she hung them on a thing after she made them with dough and hung them and I can see them. It's just weird because you don't, like there's nothing else hardly about that time of time of life that I can barely ever remember. Right. But I remember that. I can honestly tell you I remember that. Don't remember anything about the store. Nothing. I mean, very little. I remember coming downstairs. I know how you'd walk downstairs and walk into it. And it was very, very small. I remember that safe, to be honest with you. I remember that. That's that cool. came from there. So there's little things that you remember. But it, it is, it's a long time ago now. And I, you know, you, you remember the noodles thing. I remember the cigar smoke from my grandpa. You know, you can yeah. remember that all the time. I mean, you smoke cigars and you can, you know, I can, God, you, you think, you swear you can still smell that, you know. Um, so kind of some neat stuff back in the day, but they, it, it, it's funny to see how they lived simple, mm-hmm. you know? And I mean, my dad, his dad, you know, they went hunting and it wasn't just to like kill stuff. It was to bring stuff home and eat, you know, that was, that was the way it was. And so it was kind of, it's kind of cool. You hear a lot of those stories and things like that. And then once we got out here, there's really not as much as I remember until I was probably 14 or 15 when I was out here mowing lawn and doing a lot of other things I didn't want to do, but I figured I could make some money. So I had to do a lot of, I had to do a lot of untalk about stuff that I had to even do around this place, cleaning and just junk. But you know, you, had, you did it because you know, you're, you wanted some money and my dad wouldn't let me sleep all day. So I had to do something. The nerve. Yeah. Right. Right. So at the old store, did you have to go through the dealership to get to their apartment, or was there like a? You could, but there was also there like was they, had, they had they had like a there was a um, so now I can visualize this also they had a a place that you could park underneath, and there was okay. doors and stairs that they could go in that way. But you could go in from the you could walk in from the store, and there was a back area where you could walk up into the into their place as well. But um, most of the time, I believe my grandma grabbed a park underneath and then walk and walk up so it was kind of it was kind of neat it was it's it was different i mean you know like the decor and stuff just back then it was like you're talking shag carpet dark decor i mean like yeah there and you you could walk out onto a roof like roof above a bar 
which was kind of interesting too, which worked out well from from my dad and yeah. my grandpa. So. Yeah, you were. <laughs> John shared stories about them dropping water balloons off the roof. Yeah, yeah. Hitting your grandpa. He didn't mind. So yeah, there's, yeah, there's some interesting things with that. So being now owners today, could you, would it be a benefit or would you would it be detrimental to living next door, living above? There's no way. No. Uh-uh. I would, no. Couldn't. Couldn't. It has nothing to do with him. It has everything to do with me. There's just, no. That's why I live a little further away. I just need some space. Like, I just need space with... When you, on the sales end of things, you're just dealing with people all day long. There's customers, and you're getting phone calls, and you're getting texts, and you're getting people stopping in. And it's just constant, constant, constant. I just don't. I always felt like if I live too close, you'll never get away from it. And people in the area, and John can attest to this, they know that you're close, and they're calling you. Hey, can you grab this for me? Can you do this for me? And you just don't get away. And I need to be away mm-hmm. sometimes. I just need to. So yeah, to live above it. Oh my God, that yeah, that I don't even know what kind of person I'd be. <laughs> I don't think I could do it. What about you, John? Yeah, if I lived above it, I would be in it all the time. Yep. Yeah. We'd have to be single. (laughs) (laughs) You almost have to be at that point. (laughs) Because there's nobody who would put up with that. (laughs) That's fair. How did you then, so you said, you know, then your next memory is being 14, 15, Mm -hmm. helping around at the dealership. What were those first, first jobs you had here? The good part was cutting lawn. Because you could sit outside all day and cut lawn. But the problem was, at that time, they wouldn't let you wear shorts or nothing either. I had to beg to wear like a sleeveless shirt just so I, you know, and you're out there in jeans and stuff and you're just, by midday, because you're cutting 13 acres of lawn with like a 54-inch deck. <laughs> and I'm out, there, I'm out there thinking, I just got to cut these things off. I was ready to cut jeans off every day. and So it seemed like a really cool deal. Like, I can come here and cut lawn. That's a great job. Uh-huh. It was a great job until it took all day. And then you had to go around with the weed trimmer. And that part was horrible. Like, I'm like, okay, we got to figure out a way I can get out of this. <laughs> when but, you did it, they didn't have gators, did they? <laughs> no. I was, I, yeah, I, I probably would have been in a lot better shape today if I decided to do it that way. <laughs> I mean, you're walking everywhere and do it. I mean, and then it was a lot of, like, cleaning stuff. Like, literally, like, mopping the floors in the showroom. You know, keeping that clean. Helping put parts away, stock orders away in, in that. And then... You know, clean the bathroom floors. I mean, I it just I remember doing stuff like that. Going, really, like I. But then, as I graduated to doing a little bit more stuff, and I got a little bit older, then it was, oh hey, why don't we try you? Why don't we try this? Why don't you put tires together to put on forge box wagons in ninety degree heat in the middle of the driveway with manual tools and just figure this out? You're sixteen. You got this right. You're out there with, like, tire irons, and, I mean, I bet you I, I probably lost, like, 10 pounds a day, like, and drank probably 10 Mountain Dews, probably, like, <laughs> while I'm trying to do this stuff. But, literally, I only had, like, and at that time, you'd sell 10 or 12 forge boxes a, a, a year, you know, and so you're putting, well, that's, what, 40 to 44 tires together. Yeah, I was glad to see those summers end, for sure, just to, to get that done, but... You know, you learned a lot doing it, you know, and then eventually it was, my dad was in parts, so I helped him in parts and did stuff in parts and got to a point where, you know, I knew what I was doing there. And I, you know, I helped guys just like anybody else did. And I went to that and then I didn't have to do all the menial stuff anymore. Then we, then we hired other people, people for that. And I got to look at them and go, ha, it's your turn. <laughs> but, um, but you know, it was, 
yeah, I mean, it was it was good. It was a good. It was a good way to grow up, and we're lucky to grow up that way to be able to to do that and not have to you know not have to do something just completely off the wall for whatever and stay work with your family. I guess after you know finishing high school and stuff like that, what was your transition into the dealership in a well more I, official way? When I got done with high school, I went. I went. I did two years of uh, tech college for two years, and I just worked some nights. And I worked on weekends and stuff. Um, but then when I was done there, I went to, I got my degree at St. Norbert's in De Pere. Um, and then I would come on weekends. Okay. Um, you know, I had a, a place there. So then I would come weekends and I work weekends um, and do that kind of thing until I, until I, uh, until I graduated. So, um, but then when I graduated, I, I, I did actually, I went and worked for the competition for a while um, in sales. I just did, I did lawn and garden sales for them. Um, and that was fun. For, 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 I mean, I, I enjoyed it, you know, it was in, it was in, in the Fox Valley and, um, met a lot of really good people and, and had a good time doing it. And then just eventually it was time to, it was time to come back and I probably should have waited a little bit, but I, but I, <laughs> but I, but I, but I came back and, and, um, then we kind of, then we all kind of came back. We filtered in, you know, mm-hmm. John was probably the last one to filter in, but he was also the youngest. So are there, were there ever any other cousins from your other uncle that was in the business that that work here or did work here yep yep, yep they did yep okay. yep they did and, and they, they don't anymore but obviously but but they did for for a brief point in time well i don't know how many years probably three four years five years something like that during the time that you were working at for the competition had you guys added your lawn and garden lines line at that point we we, we always had lawn and garden you always it was, added, okay. yeah it was just a matter of you know back then you it's funny when you look at back then. I remember selling four to five hundred thousand of it was a lot, mm-hmm. and now you're selling four plus million of it. So it's just a different. It's a different market now. But yeah, I mean back then you just didn't sell that much of it, and you were kind of in a rural setting, so it just you know it, you were sell, selling locally and all that kind of mm-hmm. thing. So it was a little bit different, but we had everything then too. Yeah. So what was it like working at a competitor, but your last name is on the sign? of the other dealership was that yeah was it weird it was so i knew i wanted to be more in the sales into things i just didn't have a my dad was a parts was like a parts manager for years i didn't mind it but i just that wasn't really where my passion was at for doing it so i wanted to get into sales couldn't really do it here just we just didn't have a place for it i i we the the, the gentleman that still does lawn and garden to this day was here then so you know i we weren't gonna kick anybody out to have me here so I got an opportunity and really most of the people that I worked with then aren't there now either, but I honestly had an opportunity to learn from some really good people, um, taught me a lot and it was, it was, it was fun. I mean, I met some, it was, it was a good time to get away for a while and and I had a good time doing it. I enjoyed it and then really came back here and when I came back here, then I had to, my place was going to be in in ag sales. Mm -hmm. Well, that was Oh, great. Like I wasn't, that was not my thing. Like I, I thought, Oh, I like selling the lawn and go- lawnmowers and stuff like that. That's fun. I don't know about selling a combine, you know? So when I had to do that, I had a lot of learning to do. And there was always a little, you know, when you have three partners at the time, you know, there's a lot of, lot of things like this that went on. And, and, and I think we didn't always see, and John and I both were kind of in the same boat, didn't always see eye to eye with our one uncle, just a different guy. 
he knew how to make money though. He really did. He knew how to make money and I, I'll never fault him for any of that. Just It was just a matter of I had to get my mind to a point where I could actually work with him. Mm-hmm. And like <laughs> I had at the time, our territory manager was like, hey, you know, Chris, I think it's time. Um, I think, you know, he's going to retire soon. It's probably time for you to kind of transition your way back in there. So I listened to him and I shouldn't have right away. I should have stayed for a little bit longer. Um, never but, listen to your manufacturer. Right? I should, oh. Yeah, exactly. I should probably never. But I did, and it was okay. I mean, it, it, it was a lot of transition, and then we had, you know, my other cousin come in, and it was, you know, there was a lot of moving parts for a while, and I think, yeah, it, it was just, it was it was a lot of different dynamics, I think, and it, it, got, it got a little tougher for a while for us all to, like, understand, you know, where's your place, you know, and, and then the thing is, the guys are trying to keep everything even, but yeah. there wasn't even things going on. And it got hard. And you're talking three families, each with one person in the family in there. And I, I'll, I'll tell you this flat out, that doesn't work. It, it didn't work for us either. Mm-hmm. And it was hard. It was very, very hard. I don't, anybody who can do that, I would I, I give you a lot of credit because that's, that's difficult. Unless you really have a good family dynamic that way or whatever. But it was, it was tougher. So, yeah, I mean, when I came back, it was more, okay, you got to start selling egg equipment. And I'm like... Oh, great. Like, now i got to try to figure out what this stuff is because I wasn't going to get a lot of education from, I wasn't going to get a lot of teaching. So it was pretty much, here's a book, and at the time the sales books were like this big. Carry that around, figure figure everything out, and go from there. And I don't know how many guys I went and sat down by, and they're like, okay, I want this, this, and this. And I'm like, okay, hold up. Page through page 600. Yep, that has that size PTO. I guess it's got this. You want to hold it? <laughs> I didn't know much about any of that, so it was a it was quite of a transition, and maybe even today I don't know if I know everything about that stuff. But it's yeah, it, it was interesting. <laughs> it was, it was, there was a lot of learning. <laughs> so I was gonna you know planning to ask kind of how the how the fi- family dynamic was, and what was the transition like for when you guys both moved into more leadership roles uh, within the company? <laughs> I don't know if I shared it in the first the first part of the story but uh we literally like we could have been the reality tv show (laughs) like when it came out in like the 90s mtv and all that we could have had our own tv show we could have been the pioneers of that because our our dad's just chris's dad was the laid-back one my dad and our uncle roy they just fought all the time they'd be in the showroom yelling and screaming at each other and pointing fingers in each other's chests and just an an amazing display and um that made it really difficult because we didn't i mean granted we're 10 years apart but family functions we never did anything together i didn't even know who my cousin was you know because they just outside of work we never connected because they didn't get along yeah work that was one really unfortunate thing because my grandma kept everybody together and my grandma passed away it kind of that just kind of disseminated because like john saying the guys were working together all day long. They didn't get along. So it wasn't like we were all going to Thanksgiving dinner. Yeah. You know, if you were to bring out a knife at Thanksgiving dinner, it wasn't going to be a carpet turkey. So it was, that that wasn't going to happen. So right. it, didn't, it didn't really happen much. So it, it, it kind of, it kind of stunk, to be honest. I mean, you know, you, you it, and now, like, when I transfer that over to, like, my, my, my wife's family, it's just a 100% different deal. Like, they do everything it's we're doing stuff with my sister-in-law's her mom and dad when we go there and it's like so it goes so far my my kids even call 
her mom and dad, grandma, grandpa, and they're not, you know? So it's just, yeah, it's kind of, it's unfortunate, but that's kind of how that whole thing, (laughs) that whole thing went. It was just, you know, it was, it was tough to deal with because you couldn't get, they couldn't make a decision to save their, to save anything, you know, just to, because uh, one, if one guy didn't agree with it, then it was just a fight. Right. So, you know. <laughs> so it's interesting that that it sounds like it stayed all three of them in the business for, was it like all three were just stubborn enough that no one was going to say, I'm out? Yeah. I mean, they, because they, it's still, you're still here and you're still, you're a successful great dealership. So I don't know, it's interesting that. They made money. I, whatever they did, I don't care if they couldn't stand each other, but they had money in the bank all the time. But him and I talk about it all the time too. That was a different time. Mm-hmm. You know, there was farms on every corner. There was, but there was also dealers on every corner too. But your cost of cost of everything was not nearly as high. It was a different time. I mean, I think it was easier for them to make money at that time, and it was the dynamic was different. You look at things now and you see less farms, less dealers, maybe less opportunity. And so you have to be different. And it's not as easy to make that kind of money. They had something figured out. So what it was, who knows? She did for a long time. She really did. I mean, she was, she, she kept a lot. She, it's funny. She was one of the, the best people I ever knew. And yet to watch his dad and my dad, when she spoke up, conversations ended. And she was a very soft-spoken lady, little lady, soft-spoken, nicest pe- person you're ever going to meet. And but when she, when she'd go, Jerry, Jim, that's it, that stopped. Those two just both mouths shut. As the end. It was funny. It was really funny to watch. And I mean, I wish he, he, he wish she'd have been able to see more of that. I, I luckily got to see a lot more of that. But it was pretty. It's pretty interesting. It's pretty funny. She, she, you know, it was kind of like one of those ones where she. Walk softly and carried a big stick, yeah. kind of thing, you know. But in the our la- the last conversation, uh, it was Scott that sat down with you guys, right? And he was saying he remembered that she would still come into the store on weekends and stuff at some point. Mm-hmm. So maybe it was really a keep the peace mission. Could have been. <laughs> Could have been. <laughs> Probably should have been. <laughs> it's interesting that you're both fairly young to be in an ownership position. Can you say that again. You're both fairly young. I like that. I like to hear that. <laughs> um, so did both of your fathers um, choosing to, to retire or leave? Or I understand your father's passed away. Mm-hmm. Is that correct? Was Had he already retired from the business at that point? Or was he still working here when no, that they happened? Had, they had retired at that point. Okay. Um, not real long, though, huh? Right. I don't think it was. Maybe a few years. Okay. Yeah. It wasn't real long. We'll get back to the ICE implement story in a minute, but first I wanted to say thanks to HBS Systems, the sponsor of this series. To learn more about HBS's equipment dealership management systems, visit www.hbssystems.com. And after that, head over to farm-equipment.com for the latest industry news. And you can head over to dealershipmindsummit.com to register for the next Dealership Mind Summit. Now back to the story of ICE implement and the challenge of taking over the business as the ag recession began. So um, I guess kind of what was the the transition like with them retiring um, and being ready to pass things along at that stage? And Probably one of the biggest challenges was 
they didn't have anything set up. So when I got out of college and, and uh, came in, they kind of had an idea how to do some sort of succession plan. And we brought a, an attorney in to, to do a few things. And we had, a, we had a game plan figured out. And then that all got kind of thrown out the window when our uh, other cousin left the business. And, um, I mean, they didn't have a buy-sell agreement. They didn't have a plan for us at all. So it was a lot of just trying to drive that into them. And, and then they're older already. So having a conversation about their death isn't exactly right. something they want to talk about. So there was, then you add the dynamics, it really made it difficult to communicate with them on how we can do this. So when we actually, it all shook out, uh, Chris took over sales. I took over the aftermarket side. And then our other cousin uh, was handling the financials at the time. And I thought my dad, there's no way he's going to let it go because he's just, I mean, he lived and breathed his job. And yeah, he still comes in all the time. But when he was done, he was done. He still came in and poked around and had, you know, voice his opinion on some stuff. But I thought he would have struggled with it. Yeah. He did really good. Probably the biggest challenge for us is that we took over without really being trained. Okay. We, we weren't we weren't really given any direction of, you know, these are the things you do as a, as a manager, or these are the things that you have to do. We had to kind of learn it all on our own. So that was a, a bit, uh, a bit scary. Yeah. Well, it's just, you get thrown in it and you decide, okay, we're going to the bank, we're going to get a loan and we're going to buy them out. And you don't think much of it. And you look at the numbers and you go, wow, really? We're going to do this. This is what we're going to do. But the way the business was going, you look there like, ah, well, this paid for no time won't be a big deal. And then as business changes, you know, then you realize that it's not like it used to be. It isn't. And now you're you're sitting here going, whoa, wait a minute. This isn't quite as easy as they made it look. You know, I mean, it, it's now we got to change some things. And, and, you know, we changed things too. I mean, we changed certain things too and we tried to do different things. And I would argue that there were some things that we did quite a bit better than they were able to do at the time. I mean, as far as like keeping the shop full, um, that was always a sore spot a little bit, you know, parts, you know, and that increasing, increasing part sales. Well, then I get to be the boat anchor because sales part of it, that was always what carried this place. And then that's the first thing that when things in a farm economy go, go poor, that's the first thing that kind of goes away. Mm-hmm. And so now struggling to try to figure out, figure that stuff out. And, and you get, I think when we got into it too, it was a, it was an issue where, well, let's just keep doing what they were doing for all these years. Well, you can for a while, and then when things change, it's like, uh-oh, now you got to really figure out what you're doing. And I think I think that was the struggle was to try to, to with no real experience with that, to try to figure all those things out. But, yeah. So what did you guys do to, to teach yourself? How did you get yourselves up to speed? Just I did, like, a couple of years <clears throat> in. I just recognized with the dynamics that was happening <clears throat> that I needed to better understand the financials and... So I just, I started taking night courses. I went and got my master's degree to, you could just see that the business, the environment was changing. It's more complicated and mm-hmm. it, it would help. Um, so that, that helped a lot. Um, and then just, you know, John Deere training, they, they do some pretty good things. Uh, we tried to take opportunities with that, reading your articles. What year did you guys take over ownership? In 2014. Oh, good timing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was great timing. Yeah. Right at the peak Wonderful of... Uh, timing. Yeah. 
it's just enough to give us a taste of like really good business yeah and then go yay and then jump off a cliff the next year yeah yeah. you know what it it felt like with this ag recession too like to by 2016 that we were still kind of is this really happening like people is is this really going the way we think it is and it just kept going yeah it's nice to see that it's you know we're, i think we're crawling out of it slowly but surely right now and and that's that's good because it wasn't for four years it wasn't a whole lot of fun yeah, yeah. i mean at all and that's not you know that's not what you hope for you don't want to come to work and go god you know are we gonna sell something today are we, you know i mean and then you're looking at it going geez how much of a how much of a profit do i not take to try to sell this today and that's my thing is that's never been you're in business you have to make a fair margin you got to make money and i've never liked giving stuff away and that's always a, one of those deals where i hate doing that and um you did a lot of it for how many years just to keep moving inventory around and things like that where you had to but but you know it, it you kind of sometimes hope that maybe we got in it and we ha- saw the worst and maybe now because we did maybe you know we can we can watch things progress too and change a lot of things that are for the better mm-hmm. so what were some of the things that you guys, I guess, changed in the way the business was run when you took over? Culture. Yeah. yeah. It's always a work in progress, though. No doubt about that. But just the way we the way we represent the company a little mm-hmm. bit differently than our dads. We're not out fighting in the showroom. and um, You fight in here. No, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, fight out back. We're definitely more... Uh, laid back that way like we'd sooner just talk about it and find a solution rather than trying to prove a point mm-hmm. uh, so that, that's been a big part and just seeing the society in general evolving and wanting more of a, a fun flexible enjoyable work environment it's not easy to do that in an egg industry mm-hmm. business especially in a dealership because it's customer service all the time you know we, we can't close the doors for the whole store and have a and have a company fun get together it just doesn't work that way so um trying to incorporate trying to be flexible with our employees um giving them you know vacation man when you when you started with our dads it was a whole year no vacation and then you got your first your first bit of vacation after one year that's out the window 10 bucks an hour and earn your way to 13 yeah yeah (laughs) so that that's definitely different for sure you know i think i think marketing has gotten so different too you know, we've we've changed so much of that. We we for for a long time when they were here, we they, they didn't advertise really. I mean, it was either on a flyer, somewhere local, or something like that. It's all they did. And then I think when we started doing some of that, you know, we did some TV, we did some radio. We started slow with that, but you could see we started to get a lot more business, you know, out of that. But then there's a fine line with what's too much and what's you know what can you handle and what what can't you. But I know like even then now you just look at you know. John handles a lot more of the, the, the stuff, the, the online, the digital, but that's getting to be huge. Mm-hmm. You know, so now that we're, we've, you've got that next little niche where you're looking at it going, okay, how do you handle all that traffic now too? Because how do you, how do you market your stuff there? Because if it's a, if a buyer is going there and seeing things online, you're looking at it going, well, do I always have to be cheaper? Or is there something you can market to? You don't really know how that goes. Is it just going to be a one-stop shop and they're going to go there and they're not going to call you, but okay, they're, you're at this price, they're at this price, they're, oh, I'm going to go to cheapest guy. Mm-hmm. So you don't, you know, that's the next challenge to try to figure out how you can 
how you can focus on what you have to offer as a business over maybe price issues. So that's, and that's been, you know, that, that's always going to be a hurdle. I think that you always have to try to jump over, but um, we, I, I think we do a good job with it. What has been the challenge? So being a single store John Deere dealer is a becoming a more and more rare occurrence. What are some of the challenges you guys face in that regard? What isn't the challenge <laughs> when, you're, when you're a one-star dealer? The whole thing is a challenge. And, and John can speak more to some of this stuff, but for me, it's just the constant having to find a niche to for your customers, to have them explain to them what we do different that maybe multi-store dealers can't do. You know, because there's a lot of things maybe they can do that we can't do. They're going to have way bigger advertising budgets. They're going to have certain other budgets that from deer that are going to be way higher than than ours um pricing isn't really a big issue that way uh, on certain things but it's 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 a constant challenge and i think um you know you just really have to you have to find for lack of a better word you just got to find your niche and you have to you have to figure out how you can market from there and you have to figure out how you can explain to your customers hey you know we want to be here for you. Now you got to let us be there for you. And there's just a lot of that that goes on. I mean, I think it gets harder and harder as it goes. And and um, but you know, it's it's a matter of you do what you can't. You do as much as you, you can, and hit your numbers with deer. Hit your numbers as a dealership. And you know, and, and I think I think we're we're fine that way. I mean, it's it, and they're not they're not they don't knock on our doors to. To, to say hey you know they, they I think because we do a good job they leave us they leave us be and they're, they're good with that yeah what's that niche you've found with the customers I think it's a personal thing a lot of it I think if you look here the big thing is there's just not a lot of turnover and I think that's something that and that's not a knock on a on a, on a bigger dealer it, 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 we have it here too it's hard to find it's hard to find employees it's hard to find help um, so being that we've been fortunate to have people that are here 30, 40, 20 years on a regular, there's not turnover. Um, sales guys, the guys that are going out, and there are anywhere from 12 to 20 plus years, that customer is seeing the same guy every year mm-hmm. for that long, where you can't really say that about everybody else. You can go there and they might see this guy this year, next year it's somebody else. And that's, and, and like I say, it's not a dig on that. It's a it's just the reality that when you have that many more, you need to have that many more uh, employees and those guys aren't coming around the corner tomorrow. Yeah. And so I think the lack of turnover thing for us has been a big deal. People are very familiar with who we have here, what they do. And I think that's a big deal, you know, but that'll be our next challenge at some point in time because we have some guys that have been here a long time. And when it comes time to retire, now you got to try to find a replacement. So we've been trying to be really proactive with getting people in before that, let them learn for those years and then if somebody retires then maybe that guy's at a, at a stage where he can be pretty much as good as the guy that, that, that left and that's our hope anyway mm-hmm. so our challenges in terms of you know deer strategy we we totally understand it we get why why the consolidation's happening and, and you look at the technology of the equipment it has to happen because you need to have more resources you need right. to be better uh positioned to take on some of that um but why can't you do it in one location and there's a challenge, so say volume discount. We don't, we, we can't achieve a volume discount anymore. 
parts discounts for terms programs continue to get larger and larger amounts to where we're getting weaseled out of that too a little bit. Again, it's a philosophy that they've that they've got, and it, it makes sense what they're what they're doing to scale. Um, so that's a tough pill as well, not getting volume anymore. When you talk to some of these bigger organizations, where half of their profitability on the sales side is coming from volume, mm-hmm. that's a big piece. So we've had to just really look at things a little bit differently. We we understand we're not going to be profitable as much on say new equipment. We've got to do our best to. Uh, Chris has been doing a great job evaluating trades and, and getting us in at the right spot where we can make some margin on our used and uh, just diversifying with the lawn and garden. Uh, the commercial side, we've grown quite a bit. We've got one commercial salesperson that's been driving that the last couple of years here, um, looking at ways to further expand that. And then our precision farming, I, I believe sets us apart in terms of a single store location, not okay. many individual like locations are blessed to have two precision farming people yeah there's multi-store dealers that have one guy covering nine stores and they're profitable at the same time so we're leveraging that some more and trying to see how we can continue to expand that we're a little bit more nimble okay we don't have all these chains of command to go through to maybe make decisions in a larger organization the other challenge for us is structure we we don't have much structure or you know, or especially their dad's not having much for policies or procedures. There was an employee handbook then. Right. So we're picking up more and more of these pieces to try to be more structured like the larger organizations are because you do need it right. to be efficient. Other and than that, I agree to that PF, to that PF, the, our precision department, <clears throat> that, that's something where five, six years ago we were in meetings and stuff and we were with bigger organizations and they're like, huh, if you can make money doing that, let us know how you do it. They're like, you're never going to make money in that department you break even is best you can do and we've found a way to make money and be profitable on that end of things and i think that's a testament to what he holds those guys to used to be when we first started it i took on a little bit of a role of knowing when it first came out like the auto tracks and stuff like that well i it didn't take very long for me to figure out that there's just no way i could keep up with it it was changing so fast and for me trying to do work with everybody there was no way i could keep up with it so we had to get people to do it and then we also figured out that because that changes so much there's just no way i could handle those guys with all the rest of the guys so john kind of took his put his hands on that and with the service department and kind of put that together and said okay here we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna turn this into something profitable we have and i would argue it's because we have two super good guys doing it but also because of the way it's getting organized and the way it's being run um, so there, there's, and, and to another point too, with the, with the challenges, the fact that the structure isn't there is always one of those other things too, where you saw how long do you guys have to wait today before you can sit down? <laughs> it's like that every day because there, you don't, it's not like I can, like a guy can walk in. We know all these people, people walk through the door, Hey, what's going on? And you get 15, 20 minutes here, 15, 20 minutes there. And I complain to him all the time. Like, I can't, I can't get anything done here. I just can't. I just don't get anything done here. But in reality, you are getting things done. You're dealing with what happens on a day-to-day basis. You just don't get the projects that you try to work on accomplished. So that has to be... So I, I actually do one day at home just to work on that type of stuff. And I swear to God, I could do three of them and I'd probably still be behind. But it's but it's weird. That, that way is a definite bit of a disadvantage to try to... If you could just 
say here you guys go take care of this but it doesn't matter from from <laughs> you can go from a a problem in the service department to the toilet being clogged and somebody's going to come and ask us about it right you know it's just it's ridiculous you know so you don't have that you know hey go everybody knows who's going to take care of that no it's like oh what do we do oh okay <laughs> either me and john gotta make a decision so, someone find a plunger we'll figure it exactly. out exactly and we know exactly. that's that's our fault because we're both we're both in that position at times where it's like oh, i'll just do it myself i can do it faster and get it done and take care of it rather than delegating it off um because we're just it's a constant it's a constant go 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 what's ahead for the dealership what what do you what's the future look like to you guys ever-changing oh my yeah. goodness uh the technology i am excited for our precision farming side of things i really with uh all the battery powered everything whether it's a tractor or a lawnmower uh the data how data is being just driving every decision now is mm -hmm. is pretty neat uh, so we're excited definitely to to be a part of that and and push that forward uh, Farms are going to keep consolidating. And uh, so there's, we definitely have some challenges there, but we are in a great area with a lot of large property owners. And I don't see that slowing down. Uh, Manitowoc County has struggled a bit compared to, say, like a Brown County or, you know, where Green Bay is or the Fox Cities. A lot of more urban development and in, in that than in Manitowoc County. But long term, I, I think that'll change. I have this weird vision that once we have, um, auto-controlled cars that people will, especially the, the millennials and the Gen Zs will want to come out of the city and actually live in, you know, out in Mantua County in a large, a large property with nature surrounding them. And they can take their auto-controlled car to work into the city and come back out and come to their paradise, their little uh, getaway haven. Mm -hmm. See, he um, may not have day, watched the so. Jetsons because he might be a little young for that. <laughs> But he's talking about it right now. So that so see, you're you're getting into my genre now with that kind of thing. You know the hurdles of the being a single store and the way the industry is changing. They're definitely real, uh, but long term, I I can see I can see that still being very productive for us. Well, I think we we know we know what we need to do to be viable, mm -hmm. and and we 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 know we can do it. We just have to be like John's saying. You have to be progressive you got to stay out in front of things and don't wait you know i think that's when one of the bigger things we've been trying to do is just get out in front a little bit sometimes we get out in front too far I'm you, know, for and, that. you know but but it's not there's nothing wrong with that i just think sometimes you know you you get out there and you're like oh this is going to be the year we better get on this and then you're like okay well that didn't happen like we thought but in the end though we've got the experience with it and now we can run with it when it does, when it does hit. And I think, I think that's been, that's been really good. I mean, I think we can, you know, we certainly are, can do that. We've been trying to do that. And I think that'll keep us out in front of things and keep us viable in that, in that area. And, and um, we know we can do that. Thanks so much to Chris and John Ice for taking the time to sit down and share Ice Implement's story with us. And another thanks to HBS Systems for making this podcast possible. I'd love to get your feedback on the series, so drop me a line at kschmidt at lestermedia.com. And you can subscribe to the podcast via Spotify, iTunes, the Google Play Store, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, or TuneIn Radio. This will ensure you're alerted as each new episode is made. Thanks for joining us for this one-on-one -on -one conversation with Chris and John Ice. Until next time, I'm Kim Schmidt, signing out of the Our Dealer Story Podcast.